Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Gareth Thomas. Number one, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Gareth Thomas. If you have worked hard for a company, Mr Speaker, and helped it succeed, surely you should, help, you should be allowed to benefit a little from the profits that that company makes. So does the Prime Minister think it's now time for companies like Sports Direct to follow the example of the best British businesses and benefit from a small percentage of the profits? Well, we have encouraged companies to have profit-sharing arrangements, and we took action in previous budgets to do that. But what we're doing is going further than that, of course, which is making sure there is, for the first time in our country, a national living wage, which will come in in April of this year. And that means for the lowest-paid people in our country, people on minimum wage, it will be a 7.5% pay rise coming this April under a Conservative government. Mr Speaker, with mounting global economic uncertainty, it was comforting to see this morning's figures showing record UK employment. In this new age of kinder consensual politics, does my right honourable friend agree that every member of this House should welcome the news that from North Yorkshire to North London, Britain is back in work? My honourable friend is absolutely right. Over the last year, over the last year, we've actually seen more people in work in every region in our country, and that is something that's welcome. The unemployment figures this morning, which the House might not have had time to see, are very welcome. The unemployment rate is now the lowest rate in nearly a decade, at 5.1%. The unemployment rate is now lower than it was at the start of the recession. The latest figures show unemployment falling by another 99,000. And we have today in our country the record number of people in work ever in our history and a record number of women in work. Since I've become Prime Minister, 2.3 million more people in work, and I'm sure that's something the whole House can welcome. Jeremy Corbyn! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. It's nice to get such a warm welcome. If you will allow me for one moment, can the Prime Minister tell the House where in his election manifesto he put his plan to abolish maintenance grants for all students? First of all, people will recognise no welcome for the thousands of people who found work in our country. What a depressing spectacle. In our manifesto, in our manifesto, we said we would cut the deficit and we'd uncap student numbers, and we've done both. There's not such joy in Port Talbot and other places that have lost steel jobs, and they want a government that's prepared to support their industries. The Prime Minister has form here concerning student maintenance grants, because in the Conservative manifesto, there was no mention either... Let me very gently say to the dedicated Prime Minister's Parliamentary Private Secretary.
Auditioning to be a statesman no. doesn't include <laughs> chuntering from a sedentary position, man. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As I was saying, the Prime Minister has form here because there was no mention of tax credit cuts in the manifesto either. That, this proposal will affect half a million students, not anywhere in his manifesto. I have a question from a student by the name of Liam who says, I am training to be a mathematics teacher and will now come out at the end of my course to debts in excess of £50,000, which is roughly twice as much as what his annual income would be. Why is Liam being put into such debt? What I would say to Liam is that he's now in a country with a university system with more people going to university than ever before and more people from low-income backgrounds going to university than ever before. In addition, what I'd say to Liam, and I wish him well, is that he will not pay back a penny of his loan until he's earning £21,000. He will not start paying back in full until he's earning £35,000. And our policy is actually going to put more money in the hands of students like Liam, which is why we're doing it. By contrast, the Labour policy, which is to scrap the loans and scrap the fees, which would cost £10 billion, would mean go back to a situation where people went out, worked hard, pay their taxes for an elite to go to university. We're uncapping aspiration. He wants to put a cap on it. Well, I'm, I'm pleased to say, Mr Speaker, that um, Liam is actually trying to be a maths teacher, which might be able to help the Prime Minister, because he did say he was earning 25000 which is more than 21000 if that's a help. In 2010, his government... In 2010, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's government trebled tuition fees to £9,000, defending it by saying they would be increasing maintenance grants for students from less well-off backgrounds. They're now scrapping those very same grants. They used to boast about them being increased. Where is the sense in doing this? Why are they abolishing those maintenance grants? The sense in doing this is we want to uncap university places so as many young people in our children, in our country, who want to go to university can go to university. And that's what we're doing. And before too much shouting from the party opposite, it, when they were in government, it was Labour that introduced the fees and loans system. Now, now given, given this is the week, given this is the week, well, given this is the week we're meant to be learning the lessons of the last election, let, let me read a lesson from someone, frankly, I rather miss, Mr Ed Balls, who wrote this this week in the Times Higher Education Supplement, and he said this, We clearly didn't find a sustainable way forward for the financing of higher education. If the electorate think you've got the answers for the future, they'll support you. And I would say, in all honesty to the Labour Party, when they were in government, they supported fees and loans. When we were in opposition, we made the mistake. We made the mistake that they did. If you want to be on the side of aspiration, if you want to be on the side of more university students, if you want to help people make the most of their lives, the system we've got is one that's working, and the numbers prove it. 
Mr Speaker, that's from the very same Prime Minister who's taking away the grants that are designed to help the poorest within our society and give them access to higher education. I want to ask him about one particular group, though, that are being targeted by this Government now, student nurses. Not mentioned in the manifesto, the repayments that student nurses will have to pay when qualified amount to an effective pay cut of £900 for each nurse. Why is he punishing them when we need these nurses within our NHS? First of all, there are 6,700 more nurses than when I became Prime Minister. But the facts are these. I know the Labour Party doesn't want to face up to difficult decisions, but let me just give him this one statistic. Today, two out of three people who want to become a nurse can't become a nurse because of the bursary system. So by introducing the loans, nurses will get more money, will train more nurses and will bring in fewer from overseas. It's a good for nurses, it's good for the NHS and it's good for our country. And it's only a Labour Party that is so short-sighted and so anti-aspiration that can't see it. The Prime Minister and I would probably agree that we need to be spending more and directing more resources in dealing with the mental health crisis in this country. And I've got a question from somebody who wants to help us get through this crisis by becoming a mental health nurse. And it's a woman called Vicky from York, and she's got a very real problem. I would not have been able to or chosen to study to be a mental health nurse without a bursary for the following reasons. I'm a single mum. I need support for childcare costs. I've got debts from a previous degree. I'm a mature student of 33. I would not take on further debts, which would be impossible for me to pay back and be fair on my daughter. She is somebody who we need in our NHS. We need as a mental health nurse. We are losing her skill, her dedication, her aspiration to help the entire community. But two out of three Vickies that turn up wanting to be nurses are sent away by our current system. So we're bringing people in from Bulgaria or Romania or the other side of the world to do nursing jobs. We should be training British people what they want to do. British people want to train as nurses. The NHS wants those nurses. This government will fund those nurses, so let's help them train and improve our health service. The problem is you're expecting Vicky and others like her to fund themselves by paying back a debt or paying back from their wages in the future. I don't think she's been very reassured by the Prime Minister's answers today. Unconvincing to her. However, he wasn't very good at convincing the Honourable Member for Lewis, a nurse herself, and she said, I would have struggled to undertake my nurse training given the proposed changes to the bursary scheme. The Prime Minister will be aware that nine out of ten hospitals currently have a nurse shortage. Isn't what he's proposing for the nurse bursary scheme going to exacerbate the crisis, make it worse for everybody, and make our NHS less effective than more effective? What is his answer to that point? I, 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 
I'll give him a very direct answer, which is we're going to see 10,000 extra nurse degree places because of this policy, because we're effectively uncapping the numbers that can go into nursing. And I have to say, Mr Speaker, this week has all been of a piece, a retreat of the Labour Party into the past. We've seen it with wanting to bring back secondary picketing, with wanting to bring back flying pickets. We've seen it with the idea of stopping businesses paying dividends and with the absurd idea that nuclear submarines should go to sea without their missiles. Anyone watching this Labour Party, and it's not now just the leader, it's the whole Labour Party, they are a risk to our national security, a risk to our economic security, a risk to our health service and to the security of every family in our country. Leicestershire and the East Midlands continue to be a powerhouse of jobs and growth, attracting investment from the UK and beyond, and we are rightly proud of the success of our local businesses in Charmwood. Does my right honourable friend believe that their continued ability to attract external and foreign investment would be helped or hindered were secondary picketing to be reintroduced? Well, first of all, let me say that East Midlands is a powerhouse of our economy, and we've seen employment in the East Midlands in the last year go up by 17,000. But I think when businesses look at whether to invest in Britain, whether they're overseas businesses or indeed British businesses, they want to know we're going to have good labour relations and not a return to the 1970s of secondary strikes and flying pickets. And I think it is extraordinary for a party that spent so long trying to cast off that image of being in favour of these appalling industrial practices has now elected a leader and is backing a leader who would take us right back to the 1970s. Angus Robertson. Mr Speaker, world attention on the conflict world attention on the conflict in the Middle East is focused on Syria and Iraq and much less so on the catastrophe in Yemen which has caused thousands of people to lose their lives and millions of people to flee their homes. Can the Prime Minister tell the House what the UK government is doing to support peace in Yemen? We are doing everything we can, uh, with all the people taking part in this conflict, to encourage them to get round a negotiating table, as they have done uh, recently, uh, in order to bring about what is necessary in Yemen, which is a government that can represent all of the people. You have got to make sure uh, that both Sunni and Shia are properly represented in that country, and that is the only way that we will meet our key national interest, which is to back a government in Yemen that will drive the terrorists, including al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, AQAP, out of Yemen, because they have been and are a direct threat to the citizens of Britain. Angus Robertson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thousands of civilians have been killed uh, in Yemen including a large number by the Saudi Air Force. Ah, yeah, that's right. And they've done that using British-built planes mm-hmm. with pilots who are trained by British instructors who are dropping British-made bombs and are coordinated by the Saudis in the presence of British military advisers. Isn't it time for the Prime Minister to admit that Britain is effectively taking part in a war in Yemen that is costing thousands of civilian lives, and he has not sought parliamentary approval to do that. 
I think the right hon. gentleman started in a, in a serious place, but then seriously wandered off. Look, it, it's in our interest. It's in our interest that we back the legitimate government of Yemen, and uh, it's right to do that. We have some of the most stringent arms control measures of any country anywhere in the world. But just to be absolutely clear about our role, we're not a member of the Saudi-led coalition. British military personnel are not directly involved in the Saudi-led coalition's operations. Personnel are not involved in carrying out strikes, directing or conducting operations in Yemen, or selecting targets, and we're not involved in the Saudi targeting decision-making process. But yes, do we provide training and advice and help in order to make sure that countries uh, actually do obey the norms of humanitarian law? Yes, we do. Neil Parrish. Thank, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The, the recent floods in the north of England have caused untold misery to people, to householders, to, to farmers, to livestock, and also. What, what we need is actually a long-term strategy for, for floods. So that we, and I know the Prime Minister has done a lot of work in Somerset and across the country. Some rivers need to be dredged, some need to be slowed down, and we need to manage our, our flood waters in a better way. Along with our long-term economic plan, can we have a long-term uh, plan on floods? We, we absolutely can, and we do, and that's exactly what my right hon. Friend, uh, the uh, Environment and Agriculture uh, Secretaries, are doing. We've got an unprecedented six-year commitment of £2.3 billion, but as important as the money is making sure we have an absolutely joined-up approach, as you say, to dredging in some places, to building flood barriers in others, to managing the water in our landscape, including through farming practices, in a holistic way, so that we're using all the resources we have to reduce the likelihoods of floods. Isla Stewart. There is concern on all sides about the recent rather patchwork approach to constitutional reform. <coughs> we need a new Act of Union, one which sets out the rules and responsibilities, so that the process of devolution by consent will be both fairer and more comprehensible. Will the Prime Minister agree to meet with me and other members of the Constitutional <coughs> Reform Group to discuss a new Act of Union? We come from all the major political parties, including experts such as Lord Lisvain, better known to this House as the former clerk, Robert Rogers. I'm very, very happy to meet with the Honourable Lady, who has great expertise in this area. What I believe, and I think there would be um, common interest in this, what we are trying to do as a government is find a devolution settlement that works for all of the devolved nations of the United Kingdom including, importantly, for England as well. Now, I think we've made some very good progress with the further devolution measures we've had in Scotland and in Wales, with the maintenance of the devolved assembly in Northern Ireland. If there are further measures we can take, I'm very happy to see them. But I, but I, I don't necessarily believe that simply writing things down in one place uh, will solve the problem. But I'm happy to meet with the Honourable Lady. Carl McCartney. Thank you, yeah. Speaker. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that our nuclear deterrence only works against our nation's enemies if our nuclear submarines are actually equipped with nuclear missiles? And that, and that those such as the Leader of the Opposition who do not believe this have a defence policy inspired by the Beatles' yellow submarine and shows that while the members opposite may twist and shout, their current leader certainly needs help? Well, uh... I um, congratulate my honourable friend on his ingenious question. Look, it, there's a comic element to sending 
submarines to, uh, to sea without missiles in, but in fact it is absolutely serious because the deterrent has been, on a cross-party basis, an absolutely key part of our defence and making sure we've got the uh, we, we've got the ultimate insurance policy, which we support on this side, and we should vote on in this house. And all I can say when it comes to Beatles songs, I suspect that the leader of the opposition prefers back in the USSR. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Just under just under two weeks ago, a 16-year-old boy was murdered in a knife attack in my constituency. Uh, I'm sure the whole House will want to join me in sending our deepest condolences to Charlie's friends and family. Given that knife crime in London rose last year and that the number of teenage deaths as a result peaked to its highest level in seven years, what action will the government take to make sure that we don't return to the days when knife crime in London, affecting particularly young people, is merely a fact of life? Yeah. Well, the Honourable Gentleman Minister. speaks for the whole House, and I'm sure the whole House will want to be with, uh, in spirit, the family and the friends of, of Charlie Kutuyampu, who lost, lost his life uh, in this attack. And there's nothing anyone can say here that will give them the comfort that they, that they seek. Uh, what I would say is we have toughened the law in terms of knife crime offences and uh, uh, the, the level of custodial sentences people are getting for those crimes. I think the police have uh, done a huge amount to try and crack down on knife crime, and that's why overall it's fallen by something like 17% since 2010. But I think there's still more in terms of educating children about, and young people about the dangers of carrying a knife. In so many of these cases, the carrier of the knife ends up the victim of the knife attack. And so, as well as tough penalties, strong policing, we also need better education. Gareth Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, does the Prime Minister agree with me that encouraging people in this country to learn the English language has a unifying effect? It, it, it aids integration and helps to create national identity and social cohesion, and therefore should be promoted. Friend is absolutely right. I mean, I think the most important thing in our country is we make sure that everybody can take advantages of the opportunities in our country to work, to get training, to go to university. This is an opportunity country, but there's no opportunity for people if you don't speak the language. And that's why we're going to be targeting money at those people, very often women, who've been stuck at home, sometimes by the men in the house, and make sure they can get the English language skills that they need. And let me just make one other additional point, because I think this is so important. When I was sat in a mosque in Leeds this week, one of the young people there said how important it is that imams speak English, because if you've got young people, sometimes who speak English themselves, but not Urdu and not Arabic, they need someone to guide them away from ISIL and their poisonous rhetoric. So speaking English is important for all, imams included. Dr. Alan Whitehead. Over the uh, past few months, young people in Southampton have seen themselves frozen out of the living wage and housing benefit, face the downgrading or closure of the FE colleges and sixth form colleges that many of them get their qualifications from, and now we see the ending of maintenance grants for those young people who want to go to university. 
What is it the Prime Minister's got against young people trying to make their way in life? Yeah. I tell you what we are doing for young people, and that is record numbers going to university, record numbers who are taking on apprenticeships, record numbers in work. Actually, today the unemployment figures show a record low in the unemployment rate amongst those people who have left school. And I'd say to the honourable gentleman, one of the one of the reasons why uh, a, a Labour MP in the south of England is as rare as hen's teeth is because they talk down our country and talk down opportunity in it. I would like to thank the Prime Minister for launching the Apprentice Delivery Board on Monday evening at number 10. These are men and women who are expert in their sectors coming together to deliver the three million apprenticeship starts by 2020. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it would be a great thing if when students across our country log on to the UCAS website, they are informed about the opportunities of degree apprenticeships as well as the more traditional degrees? I think Ronald Fred is making a very important point for, for two reasons. One is that if you become an apprentice, that is not locking out the chance of doing a degree later in your career. Indeed, the opportunities for earning and learning are getting greater in our country. I think the second reason it's so important is in our schools, of course, all our teachers are very well equipped to tell people about degree opportunities because that's the route that they've taken, A-levels and the UCAS form and such like. But we need to improve the information in our schools so that people can see the opportunities for, for apprenticeships in some cases, then leading on to degrees. Tulip City. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My 24-year-old constituent, Laura, is in urgent need of a stem cell donor. Her family's campaign, Match for Laura, is attracting global support. And on Saturday, the O2 Centre in my constituency will be running a spit drive to get as many people as possible on the bone marrow register. Will the Prime Minister join me at this event on Saturday and will he send a message of support to those working to keep Lara alive? I certainly will join the Honourable Lady in supporting Lara's campaign. I have had meetings with the bone marrow uh, organisations in Number 10 Downing Street to support the matching campaign and I'm sure by her raising it at question time in this way, uh, many others will want to come to this event on, on Saturday and support Lara in the way she suggests. John Barron. The, the Prime Minister is aware that a number of colleagues and I await his response to our request made in November for a meeting regarding his EU renegotiations to discuss the importance of this Parliament, by itself if necessary, being able to stop any unwanted taxes, regulations or directives, which goes to the core of the issues such as control of our borders, business regulation, etc. Will he now meet with us prior to the next EU meeting? As, as my honourable friend can imagine, I'm having a range of meetings with uh, colleagues about the European issue, and I'm sure that uh, I'll be covering as many in our parliamentary party as possible. I've always felt with my honourable friend that he has slightly made up his mind already and wants to leave the EU, uh, whatever the results. So I, I don't want to take up any more of his time than is necessary. Mr Jonathan Edwards. Your, uh, Mr Speaker, the UK Government is a cheerleader for China to be awarded WTO market economy status because it wants the City of London to become a major trading centre for the Chinese currency. MES for China would make it nigh on impossible to impose tariffs on Chinese steel despite its dumping strategy. Is this not a classic case of, once again, the Westminster Government putting the bankers of London before manufacturing workers in Wales and the rest of the UK? Yeah, I, I, 
I have to say, I think the Honourable Gentleman is, is wrong both on content and on approach. Uh, the two issues are separate. There are market economies that Europe still puts dumping tariffs on. We actually did that recently with America, and we've done it in the past with Russia. So I think we should take these two issues separately. We should continue to pursue robust action against China, which is exactly uh, what we're doing based on the merits. But in terms of a closer relationship, trading relationship with China, I want to help those Welsh businesses, including companies like Airbus, to break into uh, Chinese markets and, and make sure we get the best for British jobs, British manufacturing, British exports. That's what we want in our relationship with China. Uh, speaking of Airbus, Mr Speaker, the uh, Mersey D region, uh, which straddles the England-Wales border, is one of the most dynamic industrial areas of the country. Uh, will my right honourable friend welcome the establishment of the all-party Mersey D group, which has been formed to promote the economic su success of the region? And will he urge his ministerial colleagues and the Welsh Government to cooperate with the group in its work? First of all, let me join my honourable friend in welcoming this new group. I think it is important, when you look at the development of the Welsh economy, very much to think of how North Wales can benefit from growth in the northwest of our country and the links between the northwest and Wales, which this group will be examining. Clearly, HS2 and what happens at Crewe will be a vital part of that uh, process, but I'm very happy to, to talk further with him. Mr. Nigel Dodds. Will the uh, Prime Minister reiterate, not just on behalf of the Government, but speaking for the whole of the House, I believe, the unconditional and unequivocal support of the British people for the people of the Falkland Islands to their right to their inalienable and British-held right to self-determination, and that that will not be undermined in any way by some kind of accommodation or some kind of negotiations in which the people of the Falkland Islands may have an enormous say, but of no veto. They should have a right to determine their own future. gentleman has put it better than I ever could. The people of the Falkland Islands have spoken as clearly as they possibly could in that referendum, and they want to maintain the status quo. And as long as they want that, they have that guaranteed from me. And I find it quite extraordinary that the Labour Party now want to look at trying to change the status and give away you know, something people absolutely consider to be their right. And that will never happen as long as I'm in Downing Street. Mr. Speaker, uh, as a former Cub Scout leader and Queen Scout, I'm pleased to say I'm pleased to say that scouting is thriving in Harrow. This year marks the centenary of the formation and founding of Cub Scouting across the UK. Will my right honourable friend join me in congratulating the 150,000 young people who participate in Cub Scouting every week in the UK? Congratulate and thank the leaders who give up their time voluntarily to enable young people to sense adventure in a safe environment and call on more people to volunteer as leaders as part of the big society movement. 
absolutely agree with my honourable friend. The Scouts are a great part of the big society, and we've provided them and other uniformed youth groups with over £10 million of funding since I've become Prime Minister to help them do the excellent work that they do. I've had a letter recently from uh, Bear Grylls, the Chief Scout himself, uh, looking at what we can do to welcome this centenary and uh, give this fantastic organisation a big centenary boost. Harry Harpham. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister may be aware and should be aware that Sheffield Forge Masters announced this morning a loss of 100 jobs in this crisis-hit industry. Many of those jobs will be in my constituency. We have had lots of warm words, hand-wringing and some crocodile tears, both from the Prime Minister and ministers in this chamber. about the tsunami of job losses across the steel industry. Can he tell me when he's actually going to do something to actually support world-class companies like Sheffield Forge Masters? First of all, we have taken action, including the action on energy bills, which will save these industries £400 million in this Parliament. Now, the Honourable Gentleman chose to inject a bit of politics into this. Well, let me inject some back. When the Labour Party were in power, what happened to employment in the steel industry? It was cut by 35,000, cut in half. Where were? Where were the carve-outs from the energy bills then? Where were the special arrangements for taking votes in Europe that we put in place? Where were the rules for making sure that we buy British steel here when it comes to public procurement, as we will for HS2, for the carrier programme? And also, if he's interested in Sheffield Forge Masters, he might want to have a little word with his leader about something called a Trident submarine. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, we don't yet know who will headline at Glastonbury this summer, but we do know that as things stand, they will not have anywhere to do their banking, as this world-famous town is to lose all three of its remaining banks within 12 weeks of each other. Will my right honourable friend join me in encouraging those banks to think again and otherwise to make sure that they meet their responsibilities under the banking protocols? Yeah. Minister. I will certainly make sure that happens and I'll arrange my honourable friend to have a meeting with the Treasury Minister to discuss this uh, issue. We're seeing huge challenges partly because of the growth of internet banking, but it is important in market towns like his, or the ones that I represent, that we continue to have a physical presence on the high street. At least Hannah Bardell. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister may be aware of the tragic case of Julie Pearson, a young Scottish woman who died in Israel in November and was allegedly beaten and raped before her death. I met the family recently and I hope the whole House will join with me in offering our condolences. They are struggling to get answers from the Israeli government and authorities, in particular getting her autopsy report. Will the Prime Minister meet with me and look at this case to put pressure on the Israeli government and authorities into Julie's death so the family can get the answers they want and ultimately get justice for Julie? Prime Minister. Well, first of all, I'm I'm not aware directly of this case, but I will certainly take it up on her behalf uh, with the Israeli authorities because it's important that our constituents get answers on this matter. Perhaps I could arrange for her to have a meeting with Foreign Office Ministers so they can discuss it. But we have good relations with Israel. We should use those good relations to make sure that when people need answers, they get them. Order. 